This is a podcast. It's fairly well known that I won't be running a marathon anytime soon. What? Agreed? Are you injured? No, just the whole idea of a marathon does not really appeal to me at all. No, nor right? does it me. Yeah. So, so we're, we're together on this premise. Oh, totally. Right? Totally. Um, I don't even want to drive 26 miles. Yeah. Let alone run it. Agreed. Um, so today I was driving around and I saw, uh, a sticker on the back of someone's car mm-hmm. and it, you know how when people run marathons, they put the 26.6 sticker on their car? 26.2. 26.2, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. So today I saw, and I've seen these before, but it made me think of it today. I saw someone with a 13.1 sticker on their right. car. Right, they run a half marathon. Isn't that the same thing as telling me that you're a half-ass, putting that on there? Well, I, I would say yes if you're comparing it with marathoners, but if you're comparing it with you and me. But don't you think marathons look at that and they're like, come on, man. You know what's funny? Rachel's done that. Now that she has run a marathon, when we drive past the car, again, she's like, 13.1, psh, come exactly, on. Exactly, exactly. Girl, it's, please. It, and here's the thing. Like, yes, it's it's more than we would want to run. It's probably more than I've run my whole life. <laughs> but but I feel like if you can run 13 miles, mm-hmm. running the next 13 has got to be a lot easier. Going from 13 yeah. to 26 has got to be a lot easier than 0 to 13. I don't think the effort, but I, yeah, I think in terms of training, if you can train and get yourself up to where you can run 13, keep going a few more weeks exactly. and you can, yeah, you can do it. Exactly. I agree. Um, I feel like I should run like a 5k and put like two and a half on my car <laughs> yeah. or something like that. 2.4 or something. That'd be Just awesome. To, I don't know. I feel like it, it bothers me. It bothers me. Um, I'm going to get you a sticker that says 5k run slash walk champion. <laughs> Well, here's the thing, here's what it makes me think of. And I actually saw one of these on the way here to your Special house. Olympics? No, um, the people that put like division champion stickers. Mm. Do you remember when the Kings won like back to back or back to back to back division champions? Yeah, exactly. It was like really. Di- There's one champion, and if you're not the champion, you shouldn't you shouldn't put something like that on your car. It's like right. I feel like it's you're saying this is the highest we're gonna get. Right. And so I'm going to buy, you know, like, if for the Red Sox, you guys have won World Series recently. If right. you win a division championship, you're not going to put that on your car. You'd look like an right. idiot. Exactly. I, I agree. I don't want to put anything on my car. Stickers. Even, like, you know, Obama stickers or whatever, because after the election, you just drive around this car and you've got all these outdated stickers. Well, if you put, like... Like, if in 2004 you had put a 2004 Boston Red Sox World Champions sticker on your car, that would have been fine. Like, it doesn't mean that you're... Yeah, but then you're like, oh, look at the old car. Right, but it doesn't mean that... Well, people look at your car and they think that anyway. Well, that car, yeah. <laughs> uh, the new one's newer than that. Right. Yeah, okay. So... But so I'm saying, so we have the 2008 one, the 2010 one still look like that. So people think, oh, that's a brand new car. And then they'll say, oh, no. Yeah. Or that in 2004. But, I mean, if you put a World Series sticker, or, or not even sticker, but, like, a license plate frame, right. you'd be okay with license plate frame, Yeah, right? I'd be okay with that. It's not like you're saying, oh, we're never going to win a World Series again. I mean, you can put that on there with pride and say, yes, we want it, especially with the Red Sox, because it had been so Well, long. with the 2004, yeah, exactly. Because that was a big thing. But, like, if you're a Yankees fan, you're just put a bad, you know... Look at us, 1998 World Champions. I mean, who cares? Well, you win another one, you replace it with the new one. Oh, okay. So you've got to constantly get them. 
Sure. I mean, really update your car so people know that your team won a major sporting event that's nationally Although, broadcast. Although, on the other hand, if you have the old one, it's like, I'm a legit fan, I'm not a right. front runner that just came along now, you know, if, if I'm still rocking my 88 Dodgers World Series So if I had my uh, 1912 World Series champion Boston Americans yeah. license plate frame? I think I'd the license legit. plates were a different size back then, so yeah. I don't know how well that would work. And or cars didn't exist. Existed in 1912. Did they? Sure. Did everyone? I, was there a car in every driveway? No. A chicken in every pot? No. But Do you remember that? I do. I think Phil wrote a paper called that or yeah, something. I think so, too. Yeah. Um, we should talk to Phil sometime. <laughs> well, maybe a little foreshadowing. We are, Okay. We could. We could. We Not could yet. give him a call on the next one, but... For this podcast, we're actually going to be calling a different person. Okay. Um, we're going to be calling our friend Gabe, mm-hmm. who, was, got, who was mentioned in a previous podcast as a contributor for his oh, right. hoverboard he, he idea. Email, yeah, the, yeah, the memorabilia. So that's what you get. You contribute to the podcast. We'll uh, consider putting you on on the show. If that's the rule, then I should not be in any of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, I I talked with him a while back about. Um, about coming on and actually this is how far back it was when he emailed when he re-emailed me the topics today one of them was uh new year's eve stories so okay. it's been a couple of months um you should have gotten even farther back yeah like one of them was presidential elections <laughs> how how tall the world trade center is yeah oh, oh, too, too soon <laughs> still yeah uh, it is sh- it's should it's i dial soon. the phone yeah okay. give, give him a call uh, this is our first cross-country yeah. non-West Coast. Transatlantic. Not really. Okay. It's ringing. Thank you for the play-by-play there. We're calling somebody. Joe Morgan. <laughs> nice. I think he's letting it ring for effect. Rodney effect. Hello? Hey, Gabe. How's it going? Pretty good. You are on the air with... Jacob and I. What's up, Gabe? Jacob! Welcome to the podcast, finally. Yes, seriously, long time coming, although I do blame you for us not getting a, uh, a live podcast uh, done in December. Oh, right. That's a good point. It, it was, was the, the day after Christmas, yeah, and I was late. It was the uh, reunion right. at Chevy's. I'll take the blame. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, so, All right, well, it was good talking to you. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that, that, that's it. Let's call our show. Yeah. It's Jacob, and uh, we can move on from there. Let's go on a high note. Um, so, you and I had uh, written or uh, discussed some some possible topics, but I'm going to throw one at you that I uh, that I that I didn't kind of prepare you with, but I think you'll be okay with it. All right. Um, it's ac- I was actually inspired by all the uh, V mail today. And I thought I would get your opinion on Tiger Woods, since I think, I don't know anybody who feels as strongly about Tiger Woods as you do. I don't know anyone who does. So I thought I'd give you the floor to kind of give your opinions on Tiger Woods, the man, the golfer, the spectacular. Yeah. Well, you know, I feel like, I mean, he's, he's got a lot of similarities to Jordan, Michael Jordan, and I remember really hating Jordan back in the day before he went on his uh, failed baseball hiatus or whatever, you know, his adventure there. Right. And then when he came back, I had sort of a, a renewed respect for him. 
But I've, I've never really liked Tiger the man because first he went to Stanford and exactly. is a Berkeley guy. I'm, and I'm just, I'm obligated to hate all Stanford grads. And if you've ever been to Stanford and either partied there or gone to a football game or whatever, a basketball game, you kind of have the understanding of like the smarmy nerd. It's not like pocket protector MIT nerd. It's this, we think we're cool, but in a quirky way. That's, that's Stanford, and I, and I feel like Tiger's obsession with golf his whole life and his parents sort of steering him, and, you know, controlling parents, steering him in that direction and towards Stanford. He really embodies uh, everything I don't like about that school, despite it being a fine academic institution. So I've always cheered against him, but I also watch him. You know, I, I, I imagine it would be much like, I don't know if Joe could speak to this, um, when Bonds was at its height, um, hating Bonds, but also really enjoying watching the Dodgers-Giants games when Bonds was involved. And I feel the kind of feel that way about, you know, Tiger Woods and golf. And that was, all of that was sort of pre-sex um, scandal. The thing that always made Bonds, well, at least towards the second half of his career, the thing that always made him so great was it was really easy to poke fun at him and, you know, make steroid jokes or talk about how his head had, like, quadrupled in size and things like that. Right. What, before, the, before the sex scandal, what was it that you used at, in that... Was there anything that you used in that way? Oh, I mean, I, I think he's... I've never really been a great role model. I mean, his skill is right. something that young golfers can aspire to. But, I mean, the man has been caught on live television multiple times dropping F-bombs. He's thrown his clubs. Like our vice president. Yeah. <laughs> right. He's thrown his clubs. He's, um, you know, he, he, this has got to be annoying, but, like, when he hears a shutter click from a photography, he steps yeah. back and scowls totally. and, like... Totally, right. They, Get that guy out of here kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, and I just felt like he's never, even though he's so good, he's certainly not the classiest player that the game has ever seen. I mean, guys like... Jack Nicholas and Tom Watson, those guys are just epitomized class, you know, and, and Tiger never really has. And it's been interesting, even Tom Watson has criticized him on that front, not just, you know, he said, Tom Watson said that the, the sex scandal whole stuff, that's personal life, but he had hoped that, you know, this whole experience with, uh, with the scandal would, would get Tiger to sort of approach the game uh, in a new way and be more respectful of the way that the game is played. I can't say I've never thrown a club or never sworn, but it's actually, <laughs> it, it's very few and far between. And, and that's for myself. I'm a, I can be known to be a hot-tempered guy. And uh, <laughs> golf actually takes me into a different place. And that's part of the reason I love it is because I'm not that guy usually. And Have you ever slammed I, your putter down in frustration I, and, and uh, bent it? You know, have you ever slammed your putter down in frustration and bent it to a way that it was? No, uh, I've never done that. Oh, okay. I've never continued on in the same event, <laughs> violating Rule fourteen point one. Like this is a championship. Uh, we will be old men unable to play golf, and you will not let me forget that. It's gonna be great. No, I got, I got to have something on you. Yeah. Well, I'm sure by that time you will, but. Oh goodness. All right. Oh. Uh, well, and okay. I, I was never a big. Fan of Tiger in that way, um, the 
before the scandal. I, I mean, I have a ton of respect for his skill. I was at Torrey Pines in 08. Right. Watching the man wow. win the U.S. Open on a broken knee, a broken leg. So, yeah. you know, not a lot of people can do that. So it's kind of a weird, I don't want to say love-hate, but a respect-hate kind of thing. You hate-respect him? <laughs> I hate-respect him. Yeah, I like that. Um, now, one of the other things we were talking about, just to wrap up the Tiger Woods stuff, um, I, I, Zach actually called me earlier today, and, and we were talking about the whole underdog thing and about if he's being seen as an underdog and I kind of agreed with him that, that the media is kind of trying to make us see him as an underdog for the masters. Whereas if you look at Vegas, he's a favorite. So I think it's pretty clear that it, 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 their, their actions or their words kind of, um, or their actions kind of give away what's going on. You know, the media wants to see him as an underdog because that's a better story if he does win. But Vegas isn't interested in the story. They're interested in making money, so that's why they made him the favorite. Well, I haven't, like I said, I haven't come across enough of the articles or whatever of him being an underdog. I've gotten the sense the media is just saying, wouldn't it be a great story if he wins? Right. Not because he's not the best golfer on the planet, and not because the odd makers don't think he'll win, just because it's a fucking interesting story yeah right that, that's how they're that's how they're going to bring in viewers it is like look at tiger redeem himself and and come back and here's the story right i mean if you oh, i mean there is some sort of redemption there right it doesn't yeah. make him the underdog perhaps we're just, it's just a different definition of underdog i think if he wins the masters he redeems himself on some sort of level but it doesn't necessarily make him an underdog right if he wins and there's some element of redemption to that win if he'd been like if he was like crippled in when he crashed his car or something and fought to come back and maybe he'd be an underdog, but he's still the same golfer, right? He's just well. I think what they're saying is he's spent so much time away from the game. You Do know? we know that though? He hasn't gone to a driving range in the last six. Well, that's months. different than playing in a tournament. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's not like he's been laying in a hospital bed for six months or something. He's been in a sex rehab clinic, <laughs> apparently, with Doctor. I Herb. mean, it seems to me, from all I know, I mean about following professional golf. It's not just about having the skills. I mean, Bobby Bobby Jones, one of his famous quotes was, there's golf and then there's tournament golf. Right. And he retired at the age of like 29 after getting the Grand Slam because he just wanted a life that was a little bit more relaxed and he just, it turned his stomach. Bobby Jones, one of the greatest, you know, competitors of all time, would just get gnawing like, ulcer-like symptoms from playing in, in tournament golf because it requires so much concentration and so much putting bad shots out of your mind and conjuring good shots that you've hit in the past and, you know, a lot of things out of your control, how the other golfers on the course are doing. Um, there's many elements there. And when you haven't competed, uh, you know, for four or five months, I, I, I don't know how easy it is, even if you're the best in the world, just to step in there and win. Compete? Sure. I mean, I think Tiger will be competitive. I think he'll make the cut. But uh, how, you know, he plays his top 10? Yeah, I think he's got a top 10 in him at the Masters. But winning that tournament is so hard, and for it to be your first one after all of the sex, you know, the, the sex rehab and flying across the country and then, you know, answering questions to the media on Monday. And I don't know. I, I would be surprised if he won 
based on the fact he hasn't won the last four four Masters, and he's been without these distractions at 100. percent I just yeah surprised if he won. So you would not put money on him to win. I would not put money on him to win. By the same token, if he wins, will anybody be surprised? No. Yeah. Tiger Woods, and he's won it four times. Right. Um, but I, if I had, if I had to take, if I was forced to make a bet, I wouldn't be betting on Tiger. I'd probably take the field. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to, to be on record to pick, to make your Masters pick. Is it finally Sergio? Uh, okay. Finally Sergio's time. No, it's Sergio's. Sergio had a hurt wrist earlier in the year, and he has not. He's not. He's not played that well this year. Uh, and the match, I don't think. If he wins a major, I don't think it'll be the Masters. I don't think it'll be like a, a British or a PGA. No, I think Ernie Els is going to win it. And the reason I say that is because the guy, is, he's, he's faced pressure uh, in the past and has won majors. And his putting, which is always his weak part, uh, weak point of part of his game, is now really decent. And uh, coming off of places, wins at like Doral, Bay Hill places Tiger usually plays. He stepped up and won both of those. He played all right today in Houston. So if I had to put money down, I'd put it on Ernie Els. Do you think that part of it might be based on uh, inspiration from that Matt Damon movie from South Africa, since he's from South Africa? What was that movie? He's watching Invictus. Invictus, yes. Yeah. Inspired. Inspired by Invictus, Ernie Els to win the Masters. That's, that's a good pick. Good pick. Well, I, I don't know. I haven't seen it actually, but uh, I haven't either. But uh, I haven't either. Okay, it'd be interesting to see. Uh, I think South Africans won. Yeah, I guess uh, Gary Player. Gary Player, yeah. So. All right, so uh, there's a couple other things on the menu. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it to you to 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 choose what where, what direction we're gonna go in next, Gabe. Oh man, I made some notes. So I can talk about any of the things. Gabe prepares way more than I ever have for this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> well, I didn't want to get on the. I didn't want to get on the air and be like, uh, uh, you know, just stumbling. Yeah, that's so. that's Jacob's job. We I can't. Yeah, have, I, we can't have two of those guys. Uh, uh, <laughs> Truth be told, it was a very slow day at work. So as soon as Joe was like, "Hey, want to be on the podcast tonight?" I was like, "Yes, I do. <laughs> I will take notes." <laughs> Good, it's falling into place. So what's it going to be? Oh, a fun, easy one is what two or three jobs, if you didn't have the job you have now, which is professional podcasters. Right. <laughs> um, by professional, I mean paid zero dollars. Yeah. Right. I think that's the definition. Uh, if you didn't have the job you have now, which job would you want? And uh, which professions would you definitely not want? Well, I hope that I can remain in the job that I have since I'm going to be starting making house payments uh Right. Very soon, if I if I am not allowed to keep my job, I'm going to be in some trouble. Um, well, these can be kind of out there as well, like unrealistic ones. Like you don't have the schooling for it, but you thought hey, in another lifetime I would have done X. Well, I always thought it'd be fun to. I mean, obviously, I'm a big sports guy, so you know, in, in some capacity, some kind of sports journalism, be it uh, broadcasting or or writing, you know, stuff like that. I think would be. The thing that I would do most naturally, some type of writing or or speaking in that capacity. Jacob? You know, I it's and this is kind of lame I think, but I've always wanted to deal cards in a casino. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm pretty sure it's a minimum wage job, but 
You get tips, though, well, you get, right? Yeah, so if you're at the $100 blackjack table, you yeah. know, if you get some tips, but... I mean, you could probably make a living just on the tips, wouldn't you think? If you're at a good place. If I was a good dealer. If you're a good dealer. I heard uh, Las Vegas ballets can make like 60 grand a year parking cars. Wow. I don't have a source for that, but that's what I've heard. No, we'll take it as fact. You'll be our source for that. 60, 60 grand. Okay, so there you go. It's, according to that's a podcast. <laughs> according to our sources. Uh, what, what would you say, Gabe? What would I say? Um, well, first I put travel writer because obviously it's, you know, it, being a travel writer would be great. I, I really like, uh, even though I don't like every episode, I think Anthony Bourdain's job is just phenomenal. Like, he travels around the world, he meets lots of different people in, in, in different cultures, and uh, eats lots of different food and sees sites, and it's all paid for. Um, so that would be interesting. Um, How many people one, do you think have jobs because of so many cable channels? Like, because of all the, like, right. home and garden stuff where, oh, I'm remodeling this, or, oh, I'm going to go and eat some random food somewhere. Like, there's so many people that have jobs just because we now have, like, 900 cable channels. Right. Right. Including Samantha Essing Brown. I can't stand that trick. I, did you know who this is? This, this, I have no idea. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Well, didn't uh, Tara Reid have her own travel show? Was she on Wild On? Wild On E? Something like that. No, she, well, she's on travel. She's Samantha Brown's Passport to Adventure or something like that. I would like to have a travel show where I just go to different amusement parks around the world and ride on the rides and talk about them. That'd be pretty cool. That'd be all right. Or, or like sports arenas or, you know, stadiums, mm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Like Joe Vossum is looking for the coolest fan experience on the planet. So I go to like, you know, English soccer or, you know, cricket in India or stuff like that. That would be cool. WNBA in Sacramento. That's, oh, yeah. damn. That, that's a niche. You should go for that. Yeah. That could work. You still there, Gabe? I'm still here. Okay. <laughs> well, I didn't want to speak over you guys. I, I appreciate that. Excited. I didn't want to speak over you. The second one I was going to say was a cartographer. I uh, I love maps. I used to have maps hanging all in my bedroom growing up, and I had an uncle that worked for Rand McNally, so maybe it's in my blood, and I've got a good sense of direction, maybe from studying all those maps. I think it's probably going a little bit out of date because people don't even don't even use maps anymore. But right. um, uh, an old timey map maker would be kind of cool. Are there places that still need to be mapped? Like, could you work for Google Maps or something like that? Well, I mean, probably not, but just, like, making the maps. I see. Like, you're right. But perhaps if we ever explore the universe. So, there you go. Or, or like, undersea maps. You know, they're still exploring the ocean floor and things like that. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit different, but. So you don't want to just sit and update Google Maps with new subdivisions in (laughs) suburbs and places? Somebody needs to. I can't tell you. In the last, like, two months, I've had, like, Google Maps give me, like, wrong directions or wrong address for, like, a bunch of different places. And I don't know if it's just Miami, because Miami is divided into quadrants, kind of like Washington, D.C., where there's, like, northeast and northwest and southeast and southwest. And so oftentimes, like, something will be, you know, the correct address, but in the wrong quadrant. And if you've not been there, you're lost and you're across town. Google Maps is really... I'm thinking about starting to use Bing Maps. Ooh. Oh, really? Ooh. Well, that's a, that's kind of a good segue, because uh, one of the things we wanted to talk about is your move to Miami and how it's different. 
I've uh, watched the first three seasons of Dexter, so I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of uh, Miami and its culture. Oh, well, you're a native. Yeah, definitely. I played a lot of Grand Theft Vice City, so I know it too. <laughs> you, know, what's fun- you know what's funny, Jacob, is that I want to go back and either play that or watch So I never really played it, but at least watch them be play it. Now that I've lived here, because I remember that game right. distinctly. I can't remember who it was I knew in college that was like obsessed with it, and uh, I'd watch him play. Maybe it was Joe. It could have been me, Gabe. It could have been me. You. I was somebody <laughs> came down to San Diego. We just spent hours with the Mexican and that, and that game on. That sounds pretty accurate to me. Yeah, and so now I'd like to go back and watch it now that, I've, now that I live in Vice City. Yeah. Well, I, I, what I remember is there were like two main land areas and there was like a bridge that kind of went in between them and some kind of long island in the middle between right. the two main where, where your mansion was where you're yeah yeah where the it's star- not an exact replica but basically miami's laid out miami florida is like on the mainland if you will and then you've got a large body of water called biscayne bay which separates mainland miami from miami beach so miami beach is a separate city and it's located on sort of a strand island, which is, you know, five miles, separated by like five miles of, of the Biscayne Bay in between. Hmm. And the Biscayne Bay and all of its intracoastal waterways are what create sort of the sort of very aquatic setting, sort of the topography of, of Miami. Could you draw me a map of that cartographer, Gabe? <laughs> oh, I guess I could. I would, I would say Gabe just drew us a verbal map. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so there, that's, there's your new field, verbal cartography. <laughs> that wasn't exactly right, but the whole idea where like, you can get to like get all over town in a boat, that's true. If you own a huh. boat in Miami, you can get like all over town. That's pretty cool. No. Is it also true that you drive around and hit guys on motorcycles for extra points? <laughs> uh, there's enough road rage here. It wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me. That's tremendous. How's how do you get lots of opportunities to speak Spanish? Oh, absolutely. Well, it's funny. Like, it's a perfect example of like a lot of people's default language in Miami is, is Spanish. It's the the city is sixty six percent Latino, twenty percent black, and fourteen percent white. Really, less than one less than one percent Asian. So very unique demographic compared to the rest of the country and certainly the West Coast. Um, Did, was it the driving comment that made you give the different percentages of... Uh... No, I was going to say <laughs> because it's like two-thirds is, is, is Latino and many of them are, are Spanish-speaking where they're fully bilingual. Gotcha. And so a perfect example is I went to the bank the other day to deposit a check and I stepped up to the teller. Uh, I went inside and I said, hi, I need to deposit this speaking English, and um, you know, the, the teller saw my name on the check and started speaking to me in Spanish, and the rest of uh, the, the rest of the transaction was done in Spanish. And that's like a perfect example of, 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 uh, of how much Spanish is used. You know, they see my name, Gabriel Garcia, they assume I speak it, and I do, but uh, even if I speak English, they still want to revert to Spanish. And I think it's been interesting meeting people that live here that are from, like, the Midwest or, you know, various parts of the country that are sort of relocated to South Florida that don't speak Spanish. It's pretty alienating. I know that at times they feel like a foreigner in their own country, but so many people speak, you know, Spanish here. And you've got sort of, like, 
influence. So it definitely has got its own vibe. Well, I think what's really funny is that beforehand you lived for a number of years in Berkeley, which, yep. thinking about the percentages and everything, it's almost exactly the opposite. It's about it's 99% Asian. Asian and white, you know, almost predominantly there. And I remember coming to visit you one year in college when, uh, speaking of Midwest, ne- Nebraska was playing Cal. And there were all these, like, you know, middle-of-the-country Nebraska people walking around downtown Berkeley with all the hemp items and stuff like that, and they just were, it was like crazy culture shock. Yeah, they would have, like, strollers, and they were, like, strollers, and, like, the dads are wearing dockers, and the moms are wearing a very nice, like, sundress, and the kids are dressed very Midwestern, and they their eyes were, like, as big as saucers, like, yeah. with all the, like, the Berkeley gutter punks and, like, mutt dogs and bongs for sale. It was, it was one of my favorite moments of being there, yeah. <laughs> it was, like, really seeing the clash of, of two different cultures, and that's... That's probably what makes America great, is that it has both Lincoln, Nebraska, and Berkeley, California within its borders. Well, okay, um, having having lived in, lived in both, if I am a corn-fed white boy from Nebraska, and I've lived in Lincoln my whole life, which place would I feel more uncomfortable, Berkeley or Miami? Well, hmm, it's hard to say. Probably... I'd probably say, because you're not, you mean living or visiting? Visiting, maybe. Visiting, Berkeley's got so much shock value because there's, you know, like people with piercings and, you know, like, like I said, the crazy gutter punks and, you know, you've got all the crazies on campus that are spouting off something. There's more like immediate shock value. Whereas Miami, there's plenty of like, wholesome Midwestern families that come here for vacation and go out to the beach and, uh, you know, and go to, you know, grab like a, a Cuban meal and something like that and kind of get the flavor of, of Miami. But um, it's not as, you know, sort of shocking for just a vacation. Moving somewhere, it might, it might be a, a much different story, I think. I would agree. I would say that the, the Nebraska guy going to Miami sees that there's a lot of, of brown and black people there, but that the white people maybe still look like him, whereas in Berkeley, like, even the white people are the crazy hippies and, and like he's got no frame of reference or something. Interesting. But I would think in Nebraska, like you see so few people of color that, like, right. you know, I don't know. But... I guess I'm in the minority here, so I'll I'll defer to you, gentlemen, in that matter. Okay. Sweet. All right, the next thing I want to get to, Gabe, uh, talking about uh, a board game that, I, that has had a lot of buildup for me, but I have yet to play it. And I'm hoping that in the next few days, possibly, that might happen. We're, uh, we're going to be doing a pub crawl on Saturday, and a couple of our friends that are doing the pub crawl own the game... So, so you want that your first Settlers of Catan experience to be like six beers deep? I was going to say the same thing as Jacob. There's enough rules in that game. You catch on like really quick, but it can be overwhelming when you try to explain it to new people. And if you're soft, right? How easy that will be. Okay. So either, maybe, either you maybe we're better it. off just playing Rock Band instead. Either you won't get it, or it'll be like a giant buzzkill because you're trying to absorb it all point. and whatever. That's a good point. 
Yeah, I've never, I've never successfully introduced the game to people when people were, you know, noticeably under the influence. Like, if you're having a few glasses of wine or a couple of beers and, and it's a low-key night, that's one thing. But I think it would be difficult to learn it your first time after a pub crawl. Now, it might be a good game if you got together early, before the pub crawl, to play. Mm, and go out after the pub crawl, but I don't know what your schedule is. Gotcha. <laughs> so the game is okay. called Settlers of Catan or Catan? Chris Catan? Settlers of Chris Catan? German. It's German in origin, but it's probably a mythical place. So I feel like whatever you want to call it. Either Settlers of Catan, Settlers of Catan. Okay. Depends. I've heard both. So I I wasn't able... You sent me a a video link, and I wasn't able to play that on my iPhone. But So I I YouTube Settlers of Catan, and this super nerdy guy was, like, teaching the directions of it and everything. And it, it looks... He was very excited about it. Um, it looks complicated. Like, I know there aren't as many pieces, but it reminds me of, I mean, kind of like Risk, but it, the more complicated version of Risk, if you ever played Axis and Axis and Allies or whatever, that's what it makes me think of. Right. You know what's funny is, it, it's, it's funny that you went to YouTube and saw a guy explain the rules, <clears throat> and you've never heard anything about the rules. Because when I explain it to people for the first time, they get these like looks on their face like, oh my God, I'm never going to remember all of that. Yeah. And inevitably, what's one of the ingenious things about the game, um, among many, is that people always pick it up within like 15 minutes. And I think the key is when you lay out the board and you lay out the, the numbers and what have you, and the dice start getting rolling and you start collecting resources, you start to figure it out pretty quick. But when somebody just tells you verbally, like, you do this, and then this, and then this, and then this, it's hard to remember all of it. So even though it looks overwhelming, whenever you play it for the first time, and somebody explains, just listen carefully, ask a lot of questions, but you'll start picking it up once uh, once the roll of the dice gets going. There are some games that have a quick learning curve, but it takes a while to, like, master them. So if I can pick up how to play the game in 15 minutes... Will I be at like a huge disadvantage to people who have been playing it for many years? I I think if you're playing, if for instance, if it's like you're playing with four people, Natalia and myself have played many many rounds of Settlers of Catan, and if we played with you and Jacob, having never played, we would probably one of the two of us would probably win. The reason that is is because there's there's certainly elements of there's a lot of luck. But there's a lot of strategy, too. And not only is there a lot of strategy, there's a lot of different types of strategy. And so it just takes reps of understanding how you get to the winning score and piecing those together over multiple games to understand, ah, okay, this is how I'm going to win this game. And what's great is it changes each time. Unlike Rift, the board stays the same Right, every time. right. I, that's one of the things I did pick up in that video. Right, and so this... So in, in, in Settlers, the board's never the same, and there's all sorts of wrinkles. You can, you can, you can uh, arrange the, the numbers in a different way. So the strategy in terms of how you get to the winning score may change each and every game, but you need to have enough reps to understand which strategy to employ. Should you build a road and get the longest road? Should you play a lot of armies and, play, and uh, get points that way? Uh, along with development cards, should you build cities? 
Um, and you don't really know until the game gets started and you kind of look at the resources. It kind of reminds me of like Civilization yeah, and those kind of like strategy games. Is it similar to that? Yeah, well, basically, it's the reason it's been it's won awards and, and all of that is because it's it really is like a perfect blend of um, strategy, luck, competition, and cooperation. For instance, as you're gathering resource cards, which you need either build cities or roads or, or villages, um, there oftentimes you don't have the resources that you need, and somebody else uh, may have them, and you may have resources that they need. So often you might ask, uh, does anybody have any wheat? I've got plenty of sheep. Does anybody have any brick? Because I've got lots of ore. So there is an element of cooperation. Instead of an I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine and the win-win deals and then there's also opportunities to screw people because there's a robber you can place a robber down and then start stealing their resources and blocking them from gathering other resources so there's so many different elements that make it really interesting and i think the, my favorite part of the game is that when played amongst people of relatively equal uh ability you know played it enough not beginners and and, and uh and experts, everybody starts getting to the end at the very same time. So it creates this very suspenseful end. You, in a basic game, you need 10 victory points to win. And I find typically most people at the end, we got like 8, 9, 8, 7. And so everybody starts getting there close at the end, and you can feel it, and you can see it. And somebody emerges the winner by just like maybe one turn worth of, uh, of rolls. And, uh, and it's not to create a board game like that, but they've done it. Yeah, th this game sounds amazing. I mean, it sounds like it's taken... The whole thing when you're a kid is like, why do I want to play Monopoly on the same square board when I can go play Civilization or The Sims on the computer and do something bigger and, and do all the stuff? And it sounds like they found a way to take that kind of grandeur and put it back into a board game that you can sit and play with friends and not sit by yourself on the computer. Yeah, I mean, the... It's, it's got elements of civilization, it's got elements of risk, it's got elements of monopoly, it's got some elements of maybe rail barrier. Yeah, I was hoping you'd say yeah. that. <laughs> so, it, you know, when you're talking about the robber and like, oh, I'll trade you some wheat for my brick, I think it sounds like a game that after a little bit of a pub crawl I might enjoy, but maybe maybe not the first time. Maybe like if I'm already a seasoned that, settler's I totally vet, agree with that. then I come back and I'm like... I'm willing to whore out my wheat for this and that, or, you know, I'm going to, whatever. Yeah. Well, we like, to, we like to make a, me and my friend Raphael like to make a drinking game out of it, where when we play, every time the robber comes up, which is pretty often, um, we will take, we won't take a full shot, but we'll have like a bottle of something out, and we'll pour like little baby shots, because otherwise they'll get way too drunk. Or you could do a shot of beer, um, because the robber comes up quite a bit, but not like every single turn so right. you can kind of turn it into a drinking game too uh, but I, I do think that after the first time you play it you'll have learned all the rules and then the next time you can play it like after a pub crawl or, or drunk or something like that then, you, then it won't be so overwhelming um, because you'll already have played it interesting That's, it's... the other thing is, is there are extender packs that Natalia and I want to get but there's no weird, weird thing no good board game stores in, like, all of South Florida. There, you know what? Health. They're really not anywhere anymore. There yeah. used to be those Gamekeeper stores, which is where I bought Rail Baron so many years ago. 
But like in Miami versus Berkeley, games of Berkeley right by the the downtown Berkeley Bart Station, right there on Shattuck. Yeah, been amazing. Amazing. There are really only a small amount of you know like there aren't chain ones anymore. They're all you know absorbed into Target and places like that. Toys R Us. There are only you know small game stores spotted across the nation, probably. Um, you know, maybe maybe mixed in with like a comic book store. Mm. That's probably where I'd look right. for it. Right. The extender packs for Settlers Catan. There's many of them, but you can either, as the as the basic game stands, you have to play with three or four people. Like you can't play with two, and you can't play with five. Can you play with six? Extender packs allow you to play with five or six people with the same original five resources, or you can get a resource extender pack where you can still play with only three or four. Uh, okay. Now there are more resources together. So okay. we want to get one of the extender packs, but uh, they're hard to find. I probably just have to buy it online. Yeah. Well, it's too bad your birthday's not coming up soon. That'd be a good birthday gift for you. It would be a birthday gift. Or a good, good, good wedding gift for you, uh... For you board game nerds, get you extender packs. Extender packs. <laughs> I would love. We should. It would be really fun to get uh, to get uh, the V in on it. Obviously, we can't get all seven, but next time there's right of us or five of us, or if I got the extender pack, just play it because it's a game that we all would love to play. You know what? I think I found a version of it, like as an iPhone app. Oh, I was just about to say, that was the last thing I was going to mention. I just figured that out today. It's called Catan, the First Island. Yeah. The name of the iPhone game. And it, it's like exactly, have you looked at it? It's exactly the same? It, I haven't, uh, I've looked at the little preview snaps, you know, right. screenshots in, in, in uh, the iPhone app, but I haven't played it. Uh, from the reviews I've read, it's pretty similar, although the gameplay is obviously a little bit different yeah. in terms of, you know, since it's virtual, you can't. You don't have like your opponents holding their cards up when you need to steal one. Yeah, that's and true. So it's kind of it's a little it's a little bit different. It's probably an okay way to learn, but it's probably more fun to learn it with the actual board game and then play it on your iPhone um, to kill time. You know, when you don't have uh, four people to play. Well, like. I mean, like, I'm thinking once I already know how to play, like, Jacob and I, we have a Scrabble app on our iPhones, and we'll play that back and forth, so kind of like, you know, obviously we're farther away from you, it's a lot tougher for us to get together and play it, but if it's something, you know, like, over the course of a week, we're playing, or longer, we're playing this game back and forth, or whatever, you know. Right, I don't, but don't you need, like, the, uh... Ah, that's uh, that's what it is. We play it through Facebook. Got it. Yeah. And I know that you're not going to budge on that, so that's But cool. uh, Words with Friends, you don't have to be on Facebook. Yeah, Words with Friends. Yeah. But it sucks. I'm a Words with Friends. It's snob. the poor man Scrabble. It is. I got it for a while. And here's my, here's my beef with Words with Friends, my biggest one. I play all seven letters, and I get no bonus. Right. That's garbage. That's not in the Scrabble. Oh, but the, Scrabble. the Scrabble is that, like, the... The regular is too easy, and the hard is too hard. Do you play it against the computer? Is that what you mean? Yeah, when playing against the uh, computer is what I mean. Gotcha. Well, just play against regular. Kick ass. That's what I'd do. <laughs> Guess so. 
Um, what's that? I was going to say, one other thing about Scrabble is that on, on the iPhone is you can throw out a BS word, and then if it's not actually a word, they just say it's not a word, and you get to try again. Right. Re- regular There's no Scrabble, challenge. You throw out yeah. a BS word, That's calls true. you on it, you lose your turn. And what I don't like about that is I feel like sometimes I play against people and they're just like inputting letters to see if this fits and things like oh, that. Oh, I do that all the time. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. It it doesn't penalize for for small vocabulary. Right. I would say because I'm way better at iPhone Scrabble than board game Scrabble. Yeah. Right. Um, one last thing that I saw on your, on your uh, old email that you brought up. I'm interested in, in what you had to say about this. You put in, uh, I've had this conversation with other people, words that you either love or hate. Oh, yeah. I didn't write notes on this one. So you're going to stump me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Joe's good at the open-ended question. Well, it was his, he's the one who came up with it in the first place. Well, yeah, but six months ago. Yeah. All right, well, you guys have to start, because I have not. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you what it reminded me of. I've been on a, a Decemberists kick lately. Are you a fan of the Decemberists? Uh, oh, I, yeah, I don't, I don't mind. I like their old stuff. I haven't listened to a lot of their new stuff. Um, I've been listening to the Crane Wife soundtrack, or not soundtrack, but album. And one of the things that I love about them is they're kind of nerdy in, I mean, they're very nerdy in both in the, in the words that they use as well as um, like the content. Because in that album... Some of the songs are based on Shakespeare. Like, one is kind of Romeo and Juliet-ish. One is based on The Tempest. And then some other ones, including their the name of the band, is based on uh, historical events. And so what this made me think of is it made me think of what's currently my favorite song on the album. Um, it's called When the War Came. And the, I, I'm going to show my nerdiness here because I love this story, but... It's based on um, the Battle of Stalingrad, you know, like supposedly one of the most bloody battles in history. Mm-hmm. And um, apparently there were these Russian scientists or botanists, and they were charged with, um, or their responsibility was to uh, protect these like seeds and plants that were kind of the foundation of their society or, or things that their society or nation would need in the future to be able to continue to eat, you know? And so in the midst of all this war and agony and starvation, they chose to protect these like seeds and plants and starve rather than eat them. So they like sacrifice themselves in order to protect and preserve the future of their nation. Wow. Which is hard to think of as the basis for a song, but it's great. I don't know if you were aware of that. Okay. Yeah, okay. That's, I was just wondering. Here we go. Here's here's one of the words. The I word, love the word seed. The word is caterwaul. Oh, okay. C a t e r w a u l, which is like uh, howling or wailing, like a cat in heat, or like someone starving to death. Or yeah, like pain, agony, that kind of thing. And the other one is asterisy, which is a type of. Plant. It's like a. Are these a words both used in the song? They're both used in the song. Wow, it's awesome and like close by. The it's in the main. Well, one of them is in the main uh, chorus, and it says um, like the war, the war came um, with a curse and a caterwaul, 
And then it says the war came with the poise of a cannonball, which I just love. Like I've said before, I'm on a big December's kick, but but you love the band sitting around me, like guys, I need a rhyme for Catterwall. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would be I need a rhyme for Cannonball, and they come up with Catterwall instead. Oh, even better. But yeah, so Catterwall and Asteracy right now are uh, are two of my favorites. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite words is not even a word. What's that? Irregardless. Oh, I hate that. But I love it if you use it ironically. People that use it as a word, you know, obviously you don't respect. But if you use it to mean like whatever point you just made is totally irrelevant. And I'm going to show you that by saying like irregardless, here's what we should do. I think you would say irregardless like to agree with them. That's what I would do because it shows that you're like you're saying something stupid on their side. So I would say... No, I, would I, use I, used, I used to, like, blow them off. Yeah. All right, well, a word I do not like is cattywampus. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, I mean, it seems old-timey and stupid to me. Right. But I do like, and Jill will appreciate this, specious. Oh, definitely. Specious logic. Specious logic, for sure. <laughs> I, uh, one, of the, one of the words that's been on the podcast lately, indelicate. I enjoy uh, that word. I came up with uh, that. definitely been on the podcast. Uh, uh, another classic favorite of mine, verisimilitude. Yeah. A lot of eyes in that word. I appreciate that. Do you appreciate these words because uh, you think they'd be challenging spelling bee words? Oh, definitely. Catterwall? Right. With a U in it? Right. Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't have announced that. Well. In case you're ever in a spelling bee with our <laughs> listeners. Both of our listeners. <laughs> um... You know, I've had this conversation with females a lot, and for females, it's always like words like moist and... Words they don't like. Words they don't like, yeah. Moist. Queef is also one that is not too popular with the ladies. Um, I can't imagine why. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not popular with the gentlemen either. <laughs> well, did you guys see the South Park where... <laughs> yes. They, they did the whole thing on queef. That was, was pretty funny. Yeah. Any words that any words that you love, Gabe? Um besides specious? What words do I love? Um not pop I'm totally blanking on this one because I didn't even it, it just didn't I think I love the words that I love I love for their for their for the like melodiousness and rhythm of those words. Like verisimilitude. Right. The, that's a word that's it's almost poetic just as a word by itself. Well, one word I like in Spanish is, is uh, anocheska. I think it's just night, uh, nightfall. I think that's, that's pretty a, good. There are a lot of Spanish words that I really like. Abrelatas. Abrelatas is a good one. <laughs> I actually really like... Rub, rub las gafas del sol. <laughs> that was one of my favorite. <laughs> I like uh, conmigo and contigo. I just think those are good words. They're simple, but like... I, I, I love consigo, also included. Consigo? What's that? Yeah. That's going with you instead. Oh, really? Consigo. Yeah, I'm never that formal. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm talking to you, we're on the same level, and I'm, gonna give you, I'm giving you a contigo, not a consigo. <laughs> Well, or, I mean, if I'm talking to someone in Spanish, it's, and it's someone who, like, deserves a usted, they'll, they'll be okay with the fact that I'm saying the wrong thing because they're, like, some important Spanish person and they're like, oh, this guy's at least trying. You know, he's a stupid 
Ringo or something. But <laughs> they'll they'll cut me a break. I'm sure they will. I won't. They won't. Uh, they won't feel disrespected. I don't think. All right. Then. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes I'm I'm confusing your your pausing and letting me talk with uh, a tsunami wiping you out, in Miami. No, I'm still here. Okay. <laughs> well, we've uh, believe it or not, we filled 52 minutes in this podcast, which is pretty impressive. I have two. What's that? Oh, you filled. I thought you said we still have 52 minutes. We have 52 yes. minutes left to go, buddy. <laughs> Like, you wow. better start cranking out some more some more gems there. <laughs> um, edit, you can edit anything you need to, Jacob, including my long rants about uh, <laughs> the Brown or Celtics of Catan. No, I'm gonna I'm only gonna edit out the Joe parts. <laughs> it's gonna be a Jacob it's and Gabe podcast. Once you get hooked on settlers, there is a T-shirt out there that's a play on the Obama campaign. Uh, his uh, campaign slogan. It says, "Yes, we Catan." Yeah. Wow. Nice. You know, uh, the other day I was having, it was my brother's birthday and we were having dinner and his wife was like, I always wanted to be a nerd, but I was never smart enough. <laughs> awesome. It just made me think of that because, because this, the Yes We Could is pretty nerdy, but, uh, I think there's appreciation for nerd culture. Oh, definitely. I love nerd culture. Nerd culture has become like in vogue yeah. in the last 10 years. Yeah. I ain't too proud to nerd. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> well, it's good talking to you, Gabe. Uh, Thanks almost, for having me on, guys. Almost 10 o'clock there on the East Coast. My own voice on, uh, on uh, the podcast whenever it comes out and see how it stands up against both of you gentlemen's husky white men voice. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I think just being on the podcast will make you sound exactly like us, so it's going to be a challenge. Yeah. Fair enough. It's the microphone we use. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we'll be listening on Sunday because I think we're doing this on April Fool's Day, but it's going to come out Sunday, which is the fourth. Yes, the fourth opening day. Opening day for you. Yes. Yeah, Giants and Astros on ESPN two opening night. I get to see my own team. Oh, really? On opening on, night on Sunday. It's on Monday. Oh, on Monday. Okay. I think it's the Giants opener that day, or it, maybe I'm wrong. I'm, I bet it is. Yeah. With. Uh, Probably with Miller and Morgan, right? Probably. Morgan will tell us some obvious things that we already know. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Well, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be on. I'd love to do one in person uh, next time, and I won't be stumped on on any of my own subjects, which I propose. Sounds good. (laughs) Yeah, we look forward to it. All right, talk to you you later, Gabe. Here's here's what I've learned. Apparently, uh, Gabe would rather... Shut us down, then uh, diss Joe Morgan. Apparently. Maybe he likes Joe Morgan. Uh, Some people like the obvious things told to them. I guess. that's. I like Tim McCarver. He sometimes does that, too. Mm-hmm. I, I love John Miller. I'm the, okay the, with the, John Miller. The, I'm okay with him. I like his voice. Not, I, maybe yeah. I like his voice more than the words coming out of his mouth. I don't like either for Joe Morgan, for Hall of Famer Joe Morgan. Okay. Because I, you know, I understand the basics of the game, and I don't need Joe Morgan to tell me. I like that you've gotten to the point where you're like, because if you were just a casual fan, you'd be like, oh, that's really insightful, Joe Morgan, because some people might think that. <laughs> I, who would the think curve, that? <laughs> the curveball, which is slower than the fastball, drops in and he swings in front of it. Well, no He thing. really did have to step on second for the force out. <laughs> Good call, Joe Morgan. 
You know, you know what words I love to hear? That's a podcast. That's a podcast.